The name's literate. Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a bunch of stuff this week. I watched some movies. It is part one of our two-parter on the lead-up of the release of No Time to Die, the new James Bond film. When this comes out, the new film will be in theaters for everybody to go and see, and we are ready to give you something to go to the theater with uh, so that next week we'll get to that part two, having seen the new movie and discuss really the broader implications of the franchise. This week, we are happy to bring to you really the origins of the character. We are going to break into Ian Fleming uh, and really get into the root of James Bond, the initial character before it ever even gets to the screen. Uh, I'm super Mm -hmm. excited. Taylor, (laughs) here we go. James Bond. 15 years or thereabouts of Daniel Craig doing Bond. He's in five of the movies. God, 2006, right? Is it, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's been a long time that we've lived <laughs> with him. He's like our president. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, if you were, yeah, God, you would, that's the only one you would know, but 60-ish years since the first film, Dr. No, which makes it the longest continually running film series of all time. Yeah, there's probably something there. <laughs> something there. Only 12 novels and two short story collections. Of course, eight other authors have written authorized mm. novels, mm-hmm. past and young Bond and God knows what else. The thing to think about as we go into Ian Fleming and thus forth, a lot of people are like, but is he a spy? What, you know, espionage, counterintelligence, all these terms get mm-hmm. thrown around. This is from the Casino Royale novel, the first one. I'll read this quote for you. The business of espionage could be left to the white collar boys. They could spy and catch the spies. He would go after the threat behind the spies, the threat mm. that made them spy. So mm. really thinking about that. He's much less a spy stealing secrets of foreign powers. He's more of a counter spy operating against the agents of the unfriendly powers, which changes a lot of then, as we'll see in our second episode, the context of what people are even looking for in this. So I I hadn't heard of it being put that way, but it does make sense because spying is boring. You know, you're listening in on phone conversation. There's some of that. Sitting in a van. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nothing happens for months. Dressed as a police officer. Yeah. Waiting in a museum. There's just (laughs) much more. He's more of an international mobster. I also saw somebody wrote of him. He's just, (laughs) because even if his license to kill was revoked, he would still do whatever he wanted. Right. They kind of make that clear in Quantum of Solace. (laughs) (laughs) So how does he come to be that? Or was he always that? We have to talk about who made it first and who he was, which, as we often find, has a lot of impact on what the character forthwith becomes. Ian Fleming did work in the Naval Intelligence Division in the Second World War. Could not get more spy-like than that. That's pretty darn close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the things he said to one of his compatriots shortly after the war ended was, quote, I am going to write the spy story to end all spy stories. Ooh. And he did. And so he did. <laughs> Whether that's apocryphal and he actually said that or he said that to an interviewer after, <laughs> doesn't matter. He did it. So it's a it good story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and he's a storyteller. How he got about going on with this, his father was killed during World War I in the trenches. Mm. So he had just his mom, very wealthy family that he came from, went to a lot of different schools throughout Europe, you know, trust fund allowances, uh, 
okay. leaving these schools because of his own, you know, the headmaster didn't like him. They thought he was too annoying or salacious or yeah. disrespectful, etc. He actually left one because he contracted gonorrhea. And so Whoa. he was extremely ill. So he's also promiscuous and oh, no. that kind of thing. But living the more privileged life in terms of finances and mm-hmm. clout, he got a job through connections with his mom petitioning various places. So he tried to work as a journalist, as a stockbroker, at a bank. All were unsuccessful. And then mm. as far as his personal life, he was engaged to one gal, called it off within that time as well, started an affair with a married woman who was married to the third Baron O'Neill. She was also having an affair with somebody else, the heir to the Daily Mail, a newspaper. So it's very much high society philandering. (laughs) I don't know what else Nepotism, uh, Mm -hmm. you know. hmm. All that kind of stuff, doesn't it? Yeah. Just reading through it all, it didn't paint, and even his biographer (laughs) didn't seem to have the highest of esteem I'm sure he did some wonderful things, but just reading through his early life, it's it's also very yeah. uh, whether I'm falsely projecting, you know, the James Bond character, but there is some right. Well, I don't know what you want to call it, but salacious, right, right, <laughs> yeah. Eventually, he was recruited f- by the Rear Admiral John Godfrey of Naval Intelligence to be his personal assistant. Again, through you know, connections and means. The biographer of his that I read, he said, Fleming had no obvious qualifications for the role. (laughs) So he's in there. Yeah. (laughs) But to be praised, he did excel in it and rose up the ranks. It did did work work out for him. (laughs) So it was something he was good at. So it got some traction. He's and been here spinning he his wheels, I think, is how you how some would say. <laughs> maybe a little spoiled, maybe a little whatever, but he's in the but naval. He finally got some traction, now. right? He's he got yeah. some upward mobility, maybe here. He's actually doing uh doing what he's yeah. supposed to. The the per, yeah the personal assistant of one of the heads of naval intelligence. So then, as his career progresses and he rises up in the ranks, and World War II is in full swing, he does head large major operations in World War II as it relates to counterintelligence, Mm. naval intelligence. So he worked in planning an operation to monitor Spain and their possible alliance with the Axis powers, controlling the Strait of Gibraltar, ended up not being as big as what it turned out to be. But uh, that was something he was involved in, and it was called Operation Goldeneye. Well, I mean, right now, if we want to stake, if we just want to take a step back and look at just like uh-huh. the bare minimum things that like accumulate in a James Bond film you mm-hmm. can kind of see all of that in his <laughs> in his life experience already yeah. in, 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 at an arm's <laughs> distance very if you squint your eyes everything mm-hmm. very out of focus you know yeah uh, yeah <laughs> you can see it all and and all, all of the all of the war training experience uh the war experience itself uh is wildly interesting he's you know going all over the world with a purpose um part of <laughs> high yeah. command that certainly feeds into it but you're going in just a few short years from you know just basically trotting around the city you know doing god knows what uh, what every 20 year old nowadays John. yes yeah. exactly yeah. again i'm thinking about the green knight the green knight is, just comes up yeah. all the time when i think about these things like what are you investing in what direction are you really headed in no matter mm-hmm. what you say what are your actions actually bearing out to what you are where you're headed you might yeah. not be headed the direction you think you're headed so i'm, I'm just i'm feeling a lot of that in in him 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so getting up to that point, it's, it's very interesting already to see all of those elements that later on become you know iconic for this yeah. franchise. It's always good to see when somebody is living it to a degree or wishfully pretending that they were. Yeah, I I don't like I would much rather have somebody sober up in their life and get serious and then put all of their experience into some well-formed content, uh, you know, (laughs) some narrative (laughs) than than somebody who has never actually experienced anything pontificating on what it might be like there's a the huge difference but yeah yeah I, I i need them to be sobered up a bit um but right. i want that experience and i, I want that that process of, of a lived emotion mm-hmm. and context now how are you going to recontextualize it and reappropriate it in a forward direction right something something else beyond just yeah well that was that <laughs> yeah yeah so two other Big things that I, I mean, he did a lot of things in the war, but two other intelligence units that specifically he was uh, in charge of or partially in charge of was the 30 assault unit, 30 AU, which did all Mm. sorts of intelligence gathering, covert infiltrations into enemy territory. They're trying to get documents, equipment, sometimes even people. Mm -hmm. He was in that. And then T-Force, which as things were shifting- Mm-hmm. Just kidding. <laughs> well, almost in the in the in the tide of war is shifting. They're coming in as the enemy is retreating and acquiring German technology, weapons, information before it can be yes. destroyed or subverted or ch- or just lost to history. Kind of like I saw a sort of synonymous with the Monuments Men, which then got made into a movie. Also, except right, they were recovering I, yep. artwork. These guys. Ian Fleming was actually in charge of the tools of the war. Technology, intelligence. Mm-hmm. I like that. That sounds yeah. cool. That sounds like that could be a, <laughs> a show. And nobody yeah. take that from me. That's my <laughs> The T-Force. So I did want to bring up, because you did mention that, you know, he's got all this experience. He's behind enemy lines. He's doing all of this stuff. There is, of course, because it's secretive, no word on exactly what pieces of it he was involved in but classified you know the the, the (laughs) thing that then becomes problematic is how much in the field he actually was because in reality most of it he's in london far from enemy lines if he is heading these things he's not the agent so you get sort of this oh i'm hearing about all of these things Hmm. i'm interacting with the guys some of these guys are dying etc etc but he is not really it's interesting that quote that I said, the business of espionage could be left to the white collar boys was kind of what he was actually doing. I wonder how much he leaned into the ambiguity of that. Well, that's classified. <laughs> yeah, when it's like, no, you were, you were at your yeah. desk. A regular Linda trip. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to pretend something you ain't. <laughs> yeah. So that was interesting to me that you get these grandiose things, but but it was a lot of secondhand perhaps. But we never know, you know. <laughs> hey, um, there's speculation. <laughs> so now, though, he is starting to write because the war is ending. He doesn't mm-hmm. have this job anymore. And so wh- how old is he now? He's 44 when he starts working on the first James Bond mm. novel. Okay, okay. And that's what that. So he starts when you say he starts to write. That is on the first novel. Yes, yes. It's, okay. It is completed cool. very quickly. So this is February of 1952 is when this is okay. taking place. And he is at his estate in Jamaica, which he also named Goldeneye. He just <laughs> loves. <laughs> it was his operation, and now it's his estate. 
He and sounds like a cool guy. <laughs> <laughs> he uh he started writing this thing and finished it in two months. Wow. Yeah, that's sick. Um, his fiance, because now he's engaged to someone, was pregnant, and obviously he needs money to support the family. This relationship is not of the best quality. Both of them had affairs during their marriage, mm. continuing onward. So he's got this book, though, gives it to a publisher. Eventually, they're not impressed, but gets it published. Again, this is coming through in his story. It was a favor because he has a brother named Peter who was in the war, was behi- was actually behind enemy lines, and now is mm. a travel writer and is writing travel books and whatnot through the company. So this is published I see. as a favor from his brother. Wow. It did tremendously well. They had to reprint it three times because it sold out. So no, it sounds like an immediate success. (laughs) (laughs) And so then he just continues year after year. He wrote all of his novels during the months of January and February, sequentially Mm. year to year, because he worked as a foreign manager for a newspaper in England. So he took his winter holiday in Jamaica and wrote the books there. Yeah, that sounds he. Yeah, James Bond sounds like it came from this guy. He fits. This is perfect. This is beautiful. Uh, And he's still pulling things from. So like I said, he worked at the newspaper in London. The secretary at the paper was allegedly whom Miss Moneypenny, the secretary for James Bond, was based. Not uh, anybody of his spy service, but his newspaper secretary. Right. And maybe living somewhat. I hate to say, you know, because you can't judge the person, but maybe a vicarious, that's what some people theorize, sort of existence with these novels if he wasn't the full spy and his brother was, you know, is interesting. I mean, that's what we do here is look at what these things are then and now. So Mm -hmm. this is inalienable. Mm -hmm. We see time and time again. I mean, we see these creatives the reverberations of their life throughout their work. Yeah. Uh, and this is this is just yet another example of that. And uh, so, yeah, no, 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 no offense uh, meant. It's just that that, again, we are we are looking at the material and looking back at where it came from. What what are the real the real seeds of it? Where did it begin? How did it start and how did it grow from a point? We you know, there, there's a context mm-hmm. to all that. And, and that's what we try to do here. So it's just a, another another example. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he just this is this is really really fascinating. To the more you say, the more I'm like, yeah, this sounds like the guy that wrote James Bond. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about then what James Bond is in the books, or at least the start of the books, before we get to part two, and, yeah. and maybe what he's pulling from, what he's doing with this, if it is or isn't some vicarious thing or pieces of him. Yeah. Um, some of some of the pieces, the 007 I was curious about because that's a ubiquitous piece of information. Right. The Zimmerman telegram, which was decoded in World War One mm-hmm. by British intelligence and was mm-hmm. a very big win for them, was coded 0075. Okay. And it is a part of their internal system that all highly classified things have the 00 prefix. Okay. And so that's why Fleming said he took it for Bond, but maybe he was even alluding to that particular classified yeah. situation, yeah. that it's 007. But definitely the 00 stuff is is legit as far as Drop classified. the five. <laughs> it's too it's long. Cleaner. 0075, yeah. It's, it's cleaner. <laughs> and then the actual personality and whatnot we can allude comes from him, but some of even the stuff that's going on 
plot-wise and some of the character traits are a compound of all the secret agents and commando types that he says he met during the war. So Yeah, I bet. And back to what we were just saying, not saying that he is James Bond. I'm saying that he is in the position to see all sorts of personalities and peoples mm-hmm. and cultures that would eventually add up to what we know as James Bond, the franchise. He's yeah. seeing, I mean, the where he is, he's seeing all sorts of peoples from an amazing point of view. Uh, and that point of view leads to material that has stuff in it like James Bond has. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's it's he's just in the position and it's this is fa- this is fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a list of at least 15 potential people that some theorize that he is pulling from because he knew about oh, yeah. them or wrote about them. But a few that I thought of note, his brother, Peter, obviously mm-hmm. involved in behind enemy lines operations. So yeah, he's getting yeah. word from there. Conrad O'Brien French, who was a spy who he met in the 30s. You know, he has the aspiration to make the best mm-hmm. spy novel of all time. I'm, I, I'm certain he's looking outside yeah. himself. And I, I, this is this is namely I love the brother stuff that yeah. I, I bet that's such a big component <laughs> for him. Yeah. Um, I, I just that 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 just that really rings true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, two other guys, Patrick. Dalzel Job, who served in that 30 assault unit, who was mm. going through stuff. And then Biffy Dunderdale was the station head of MI6 in Paris, mm. who he had a fascination with because he was a really fancy guy, had custom cufflinks, rolled around in a Rolls Royce. There you go. Some of those elements go. being the head of MI6 in Paris. And then also a big oh, thing cool. was his own traits, just quirks of his. He he and James Mm -hmm. Bond have the same golf handicap. They have the same fascination with the way they cook their eggs and Mm -hmm. gambling Mm -hmm. and drinking uh, habits are very, very similar. Look at how banal that is compared to all the other things you just named of all these (laughs) other people that had all these cool things that he's right. But he's like, well, I gave him the way I like my eggs. Yeah. And And how much I drink to excess. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like it's like He's being a writer about it. Uh, it's yeah. an amalgamation of a lot of different real things that mm-hmm. add up to the character. Um, uh, this this is really good. Yeah. This. <laughs> one of one of the real things, the literal name James Bond. So he and this ties to some of what he was wanting Bond to be. He said mm-hmm. he wanted Bond to be an extremely dull, uninteresting man to whom things happened. Quote a mm-hmm. blunt instrument. So he didn't, and that and that speaks to. I read the first Casino Royale a while ago, and he okay. is more gruff, more like the Daniel Craig stuff, which was funny. We'll talk about that. But when when people yeah. gave him guff for not being like the James Bond, when in reality, in the right by the novels, time he takes over the character, we the, the ideal of James Bond is so refined that when Daniel Craig comes in and they really redefine the character, he's much more gruff. He's much more blue. He's not blue collar, but he's more that edge of blue collar. He is, he is down and dirty. This, this, the movie is really rough uh, in a way that Bond films weren't known to be. Yeah. He Uh, became, his casting was part of that, that they, this, that first one, his casting in particular was seen as his image would be that more of a gruffer, realer, Mm -hmm. uh, blunt object is a great way to put it. I mean, again, he is the mobster globe trotting the world. (laughs) Uh, You know, he is more like a Tony Soprano (laughs) in terms, you know, in terms of like, if he was going to go globe trot the world and then shake somebody down and shake them by the collar to know, you know, who he needs to talk to next. 
Yeah, exactly. Daniel Craig's image is all part of what they were trying to do with that character, which is so funny you're pointing out is that is much more like the very inception, the first iteration Mm -hmm. of the character, a blunt object. Things happen to he is a blunt object where things are ramming into him. That feels much more like the Daniel Craig Casino Mm -hmm. Royale and this franchise. And the iteration of this. Exactly. That he is just a vessel for the British government. Right. To stop global issues and a tool i mean that's Mm -hmm. again that's a great they they must have really distilled it down to that when they were really thinking about what casino rebooting was going to be (laughs) yeah and that's so evident to me now having i started with the ones i'd seen least uh, and i watched quantum of solace for the second time in in retrospect that movie really moves it has a, a pace and it has really great action that I could I can't say the same for Spectre mm-hmm. and I started to think more about well Casino Royale is faster and there's a lot more happening he's being beaten and going through walls <laughs> and he's, he's really being this character this character battered in a way that we don't associate with James Bond and as gross in terms and, of and, right yeah. we think about him in a white tuxedo drinking a martini more not, of a dandy yeah <laughs> right it was interesting to to see how they were really making a concerted effort through these newer films to to make him a tool, a blunt object. Things are mm-hmm. crashing on top of him. It's like a bat swinging. Uh, he is the bat. <laughs> Things are crushing right. around him. Well, it's almost um, like he's a bad spy. And, you know, that's why I started talking about it with the spy. Yes. You know, spy they go out of their way. Yeah, they go out of their way to depict that actually in Quantum of Solace. It's a uh, you know, it's not a, it's not a, it, it's not great, but that was the right. one thing I did really come away from that movie going like they really go out of their way to show him failing at this, um, right. making bad decisions, people calling him out on bad decisions. That's what I was going to say, what I meant earlier when he, you know, if he lost his license, he'd keep doing what he was going to do anyway. You said that. And I was like, yeah, that's quantum of solace is that basically happens. And he just keeps going. And it is right. like this unstoppable force just crashing through walls. So yeah, that's, so that, that's so, so that interesting is, to hear that that's much more rooted to the, the origin of the character. That is what his intention was. He said it outright. And so for the name, he said, well, I've got to have something that embodies that. And so he's also big into bird watching. Ian Fleming is. And he specifically in the Caribbean in Jamaica, my God, there's lots of birds. And there was a book (laughs) that he was reading by this famous ornithologist, and the author's name is James Bond. And he said, quote, my God, James Bond is the dullest name I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why he's named James Bond. And then it becomes so filled with a, you say James yeah. Bond, and there's so many evocative images, but that's not what he wanted. He wanted him to just he be. He chose it because it was boring and banal. <laughs> and now when you say it, we think of luxury. And gadgets and, and globetrotters. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, bear that, that in mind if you're going to see the new I movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just fascinating. Like, how he, it... If he were to see the, like, if, if he, <laughs> the Pierce Brosnan, you know, I think of that yeah. as probably one of the old, you know, and I haven't, I mean, I haven't seen the all 21 films, so forgive me. But, you know, as how suave the character really gets and as that becomes the iconic elements of the character that you end up paying to see the money to see the suit, yeah. the car, the stuff. It's like, well, no. No, James Bond is not a cool name, guys. Is what the, <laughs> what the author says. Like, no, he's 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 he, the things that happen to him are cool. <laughs> Everybody yeah. else is, yeah. No, he's cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait. I keep saying this, but the second part we will really get into what 
what well, I can't that, wait. You know, and what, it's yeah. really going to open up the, the other side of this conversation because now we're going to get to the close of the Daniel Craig series. Yeah. Um. So we'll we'll be able to really we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, compare and contrast all the setup that we'll get through today next week. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So. Uh, adding to the the personal stuff that he's taking ornithologist name from a bird book, his friends and people that he worked with, some other story influences. Scaramanga, the villain in the Man with the Golden Gun, was named after a schoolboy who he hated, who kept fighting him uh, in in, uh-huh. in a primary school. Goldfinger was named it. after an architect that he really disliked. This architect's work. <laughs> And the I think the I think the guy I'm gonna immortalize your name yeah. in film. <laughs> I think there was embolden it into the public zeitgeist. <laughs> some some lawsuits, from what I remember, with that really. Oh man, and whatnot. Yeah, and oh, then no, no, that. Yeah, oh come yeah. on, gave, no, <laughs> you're like. But it's his name. It's <laughs> slander. I know, yeah. but it's like yeah. Dang. But there's a lot of that stuff that he that he pulled that was just all very specific relationships and information. So as far as teasing kind of getting this adapted in October of 1954, because he's sort of ahead of his time. I saw his biographer saying his contemporaries were more literary, wanting the literary accolades, but he was desperate for his books to be adapted. Mm-hmm. Um, he saw the money signs also, and yeah. now Lord, the longest running thing. But so this is 1954. This is seven months after the book Casino Royale came out in the USA. Mm-hmm. CBS bought it the rights and screened an hour long version. It's on YouTube. It's black and white. They have to cut out a bunch, but this is the first time something of his is getting done. There was a big plug in terms of appeal for audiences because Kennedy in life magazine, an article revealed that he was a fan in 61. Yeah. Oh, I bet that was huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, we, we've talked before on the show about the, how the pinhole of information has, you know, exponentially increased in our <laughs> lifetime. We're talking yeah. about 1961, where we're talking about the first televised presidential debate ever. Yeah. For the president to say in print that he's a fan of something is about as high profile an endorsement. <laughs> it's like as big publicity as you could get yeah. at the time. Exactly. And specifically with Kennedy 61, the films haven't even come out yet. He's just talking about the books. So it's been almost a decade of the books coming out. Like I said, that 54 TV movie thing came out on Casino Royale, but (laughs) almost a a dozen books have come out and the president is saying, oh, I like the books. So, But he's been trying to get these things made. So there was one complication with one of the novels, Thunderball. He was trying, starting to to write as a script. He It wasn't a novel at first. And so he was writing it okay. with other people. He got other people on board. They were interested. There was an attempt to get this Bond film made. This is in 59. I know we're jumping around in time, but it wasn't working out. The writers, they had another film that didn't do well. And so mm. he was like, oh, this, <laughs> this isn't going to be good. Nobody's going to want oh, no. me with these writers. And so yeah. he took the screenplay and From wrote the it. writers of a failure. Yeah. <laughs> See a James Bond thing that hasn't been made for 10 years, even though the president, like, you know, so he wrote it on his own as a novel, the novel Thunderball, gotcha. but huge lawsuit. The guy, one of the writers, McClory, oh, because no. it's like, we wrote that as a screenplay and then you just wrote it as a yeah. novel yeah. because the screenplay wasn't yeah. working out. So yeah. this 
this That's becomes huge. this huge lawsuit and McClory gets the literary and film rights for the screenplay and Fleming gets the novel rights. But the novels for Thunderball have to say based on the screen treatment by and the other guys who wrote the screenplay, which comes into play when we'll talk about the production of the films. But that mm-hmm. was a, a downward slope. God. Dr. No was the first film that gets made in 62. So the year after, because they couldn't make Thunderball. So they, they pick yeah. a different book of his as it's building in publicity. But this becomes the end of Ian Fleming because he died. He was 56 okay. years old. He died two years after Dr. No, the movie came out. Oh, wow. Unsurprisingly, he was a heavy smoker and drinker and died of heart disease after having a heart attack a few years before. And so he only ever saw that one, saw the second one, and visited the set of Goldfinger, the third film, but did not actually see it. He ought to know better than being than taking all their work and putting it into a novel with just his name on it. <laughs> it's, it's like that's you really thought you could just, like yes, I know it's your character, but you really thought you could just. Take, okay. <laughs> that's all I got. That's the only. Well, it becomes yeah, it becomes a nightmare. <laughs> it becomes a nightmare when we get to the production of the of the uh, films God. and who owns what and all this other foolishness. But it's it, amazing that it actually because it could have solved the demise of it before it ever got off the ground. <clears throat> Um, mm-hmm. it, they're, they're really, he in particular, Ian Fleming is lucky that it continued at all. Yeah. That, that could have, what if, if we talked about <laughs> last week, uh, that, that could, uh, James Bond could have very well never have made it to the screen. Mm-hmm. And the fact that here's this guy, like I said, he's, he had almost a dozen novels. Two of them were published posthumously. He only sees the first two movies out Yeah, and then he dies what becomes of it, which is everything that we know it now, because the, yes. the first one Saying was not all critically this, revered. Yeah, right. Saying all this is making it more and more incredible that this is still alive, the largest running cinematic franchise ever. <laughs> um, that that for it to have had this critical far, false start, and then mm-hmm. the actual originator die while it's still in its infancy on the screen. Um, two films into a 21 mm-hmm. film run. And there's 12 uh, books still. It's, that, yeah. Yeah. It, it's incredible that this series uh, maintains uh, it, its posture at all. And so the mystery of how it becomes this everlasting property, what could they do to this thing? We will find out next week. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll have seen the film. Hopefully, you, that you guys will have seen the film, and we can take what we've learned now about the uh, genesis of Bond and apply that to No Time to Die being the rounding out of this iteration of a character. Mm-hmm. We've never really straddled and a release before, and nonetheless, have we straddled the end the the known end of such a long-running series daniel craig has been james bond since 2006 so we know that this is the last film with him so this is going to be a really fun thing for all of us to do together uh it's going to be an awesome conversation to pick up (laughs) next week (laughs) what was and is and will be we will cover it all so I, I hope everybody enjoyed today. Thank you for sticking with us. Uh, really appreciate all of the support. Give us a like. Give us some five-star reviews. Give us a three-star. Give us whatever stars you Tell think a friend. deserve. 
<laughs> recommend it. If, so, if we've done an episode on somebody's favorite thing uh, or something that you've always wanted to introduce somebody to, something we've never known quite how, maybe maybe our episode on that thing is the way. Maybe it's the bridge. <laughs> I don't know. We would love some support. Recommend us. Uh, thumbs us up. And we will catch you next week for part two uh, of No Time to Die. James Bond, thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you.